Pursuant to the Fair Use Doctrine of Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, limited use of copyrighted material is permitted for specific purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, education, and research. This podcast is otherwise copyrighted by the Underground Christian Broadcast. Welcome to episode 39 of the Underground Christian Podcast, where the Bible and the 21st century collide head-on in a spectacular display of shock and awe. Events of the world are streaming along at a breakneck pace, so fast that I can't get to most of the items I was going to talk about. The world is changing around us very quickly, and Christians must be ready to discern and act appropriately toward both the world and God, but not necessarily in that order. To develop discernment, we need to appreciate how the world really works and who really controls it. I, for example, grew up in an environment of political activity, where politics was believed to be the solution to the problems of the world. Liberal politics, progressive politics, conservative politics, libertarian politics, religious politics, and other corresponding socio-economic twins. But I've learned that it's all just theater that's designed and encouraged to keep us occupied in the great game of life while people, most of whom are hidden from view, plan the outcome, rig the system, and profit off the ignorance of the players. It's a world that's based on fraud, lies, deceit, and intrigue, and it always has been. It is through this world that we plan and struggle and strive to make a successful life for ourselves. Up until recently, Christians did it the old-fashioned way. We found a significant other, settled down together, had children, raised a family, and taught our young ones how to be good, well-indoctrinated participants in the very system that enslaves them, never equipping them to look behind the curtain so they could find the truth of the reality. And we did it mostly because we were completely deceived. In the words of that great prophet Jeremiah, Hear this now, O foolish people without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? The truth is that there's nothing new under the sun, as it says in Ecclesiastes 1.9. What happened to ancient Israel is exactly what happened to us and what continues to happen to most people for exactly the same reasons as are in the Bible. Because we love to have it so. And it's happening, not just in America, it's happening across the whole world. But as an American, I have a vested interest in what's happening in my neck of the woods, so I'm going to focus on America for the time being by reflecting on how similar we are to ancient Israel. In the days of Jeremiah, Israel was heavily embroiled in international political machinations and intrigue. Major military powers of the era were rattling their sabers and threatening the neighboring kingdoms, including the tiny nation of Israel, which was positioned between the mighty superpowers of the day, right in the middle of the primary trade route between those superpowers. Israel was therefore prime real estate for power-hungry and greedy political tyrants, and the people of Israel were feeling the heat from both the north and the south. Rather than looking to God for solutions to their worldly problems, the people looked to their leaders for the solution, to their government, and the governmental leaders pursued politics to solve their security problem. They felt that if they could just convince the right politicians in the right positions of power to do what they wanted, then everything would be fine. Economic options were put on the table, and diplomats went hither and thither talking and pleading and bribing other leaders so that the security of Israel could be managed through human force and political interventions. Agreements were negotiated, compromises made, payoffs secreted, and the political machine of men was put into action. The problem was that these ancient Israeli leaders relied on lies, deceptions, and falsehoods for their security spurning their only viable hope by refusing to understand the true nature of reality. As before, so after, and today it is safe to say that none of our current political leaders show any outward evidence of understanding the true basis of reality any better than our Hebrew ancestors did. 
If our current political crop of leaders did, they would not do what they do, they would not say what they say, and they would not pervert what they pervert. As Christians, God expects us to understand and act in accordance with the true basis of reality and not with the lies and deceptions of the age. The true basis of reality is actually very simple, and if we taught it to our children, they would be equipped to protect themselves from the cynical deceptions and evil manipulations of the world. So, I'm going to disclose it to the tiny part of the world that listens to my broadcast. The true basis of reality is dualism, and that means reality has two parts. One part is physical, and one part is spiritual. See? I said it was simple. The physical part of reality is made up of four things. Space, time, matter, and energy, all of which are created things. These physical things are all governed by complex laws or rules that were themselves created by God, and they interconnect with each other in a myriad of complex and intricate ways. Scientists are the people who study the physical part of reality, so if we want to know factual details of this part of reality, we can inquire of scientists. The problem with many scientists is that they are not content to just convey the facts of physical reality. They are often compelled to interpret those facts through a philosophical belief system, one that often overlaps with the other part of reality, but almost always does so erroneously. That other part of reality is spiritual reality. It also has two component parts. One part is a created element, and the other part is an eternal element. The created part of spiritual reality did not always exist. The eternal part of spiritual reality has always existed, and it is the part that created everything else. We call the eternal part God, even though many people and religions have very different ideas about God. The real God, the one Christians worship, is a person in the sense of having a mind, a soul, a heart, a personality, intelligence, consciousness, willful intentions, creativity, emotions, and morality. God is the source of everything else that exists, both physical and spiritual, as he established and maintains all these other things through his own intentional action. God exists outside of the created things, and he cannot be forcibly accessed or in any way controlled by the created things. Or, to put it a bit differently, the created things are subject to whatever rules, boundaries, and limitations God places on them, and there are rules, boundaries, and limitations placed on all created things. God, being the source and sustainer of everything that exists, is by his nature ruler over everything. Everything would cease to exist if he withdrew his willful desire to have them exist, or if he withdrew his affirmative actions that enable things to exist. Upon withdrawal of said desires or actions, all space, time, matter, and energy would abruptly cease to exist, along with much of spiritual reality. That makes him a ruler by default, by his nature. He creates the rules and he enforces the rules. So God is at the top of the power pyramid and cannot be displaced by anything else because existence itself would cease to exist. Since he is the supreme ruler, he exercises sovereign authority over everything. Every other authority must necessarily obtain its authority from him, and therefore every other authority must be delegated by him. For the purpose of this discussion, we will define authority as the ability to choose between two or more options. Physical processes don't exercise authority because they function mechanistically and predictably with regard to their governing natural laws. But anything with a mind must be delegated some amount of authority as an entity with a mind is able to make a choice. The more complex the mind, and the greater the ability of the mind to affect the physical world around it, the more authority is granted to that mind. Among the physical entities of the world, people have the most complex minds, the greatest degree of choice, and therefore have been granted the greatest amount of authority. Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, said the Lord God, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over everything that moves on the earth. That's a lot of authority, so it should be expected that when one group of people come into contact with another group of people and try to exercise their authority, there is the potential that one group's decisions may conflict with the other group's decisions and conflict often leads to violence. Notwithstanding the words of the Declaration of Independence, 
it is God who instituted governments among men in order to control the actions of people and mitigate any conflicts. People need to be controlled because of the corrupt nature of men's hearts, according to Jeremiah 19.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So to control the manifestation of this evil, spirits were ordained by God to form governments on the earth. Whoa! That was unexpected! Where did spirits suddenly come from? Well, they came from the spiritual part of reality down to men through the agency of government. God, the sovereign ruler over everything, delegated some of his authority to Lucifer and his spirit officers to govern human beings and create a functioning civilization. It seems that the hearts of angels are not all that different than the hearts of men, because after the angels were given political authority over their human subjects, it did not take them very long to become political tyrants who acted for their own benefit, which created an adversarial relationship between them and men, and more importantly, between them and God. Lucifer devolved into Satan, which means adversary. God described that process of corruption and rebellion in Ezekiel chapter 28, when he was reminiscing about the event. The context of the passage is a proclamation against the king of Tyre, a human king who had become an enemy of Israel. God's proclamation against the king of Tyre is recorded in verses 1 to 10. But then in verses 11 to 19, God switches from condemning the human king to lamenting the authority that lies behind and empowers the human king, that authority being Satan. The pertinent point is expressed in verses 15 to 18. Verse 15, You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So God tells us that Satan was created not as a perfect being, but one with a free will to make choices. For a time, he made good choices and acted in a perfect manner. But then, something changed that led him to make incorrect, corrupt, evil choices. Verse 16. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. The mountain of God and fiery stones are references to God's throne room in heaven, where Lucifer was a senior angelic official. He was a spirit leader, a cherub, which is a type or rank of angel who serves God directly. Obviously, in addition to his throne room responsibilities, Lucifer had some other duties that required his attention on the earth, or he would not have been involved in an abundance of trading. That word trading is the Hebrew word rekula. It means to merchandise, traffic, or trade. Lucifer was trafficking something, and it created in him a violent disposition. Now, it isn't difficult to understand what he was trafficking in because the angels had been sent to the earth to create a government by which to control human beings. Down on the planet, from the perspective of people, these angels appeared as gods, small g, because they were extremely powerful, intelligent, and virtually immortal, having been given bodies that did not wear out the way ours do. But the angels were also prideful, power-hungry, and competitive in a way that was violent and destructive toward the people of the earth. They trafficked in the one commodity that had value to them because they valued worship, and that commodity was people. They trafficked people. As the delegated leaders of human society, they competed for control of the human beings, and like all power-hungry politicians, their power-lust led quickly to tyranny, corruption, and violence where people were treated like dogs in a pit fight. The angels trained them in the art of warfare and then used the armies they created to compete with one another. That is what caused Lucifer, who would soon be called Satan, to foment violence and hatred in his heart. Verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. Lucifer was maybe the most beautiful of all the angels, and he surely was revered by his human subjects. He loved the adoration, and like all people who are addicted to status, fame, and power, he craved more and more of it to fuel his pride. 
the angels competed for human worship by enlarging the size of their own governmental kingdoms at the expense of their competitors' kingdom. They taught warfare and slavery to their human followers by trafficking in human lives. That got Satan and his followers kicked out of their heavenly positions and consigned to the human kingdoms on the earth where Satan's subordinate angels would bow down in fealty to him. Verse 18. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Sanctuaries are sacred places, holy places, places where he had authority to enter because of his position before God. But these sanctuaries were defiled by his iniquities, which is the Hebrew word avon. It means perversity, depravity, and guilt. He defiled the holy sanctuaries by the abundance of his perversions, depravities, and guilt before God, which speaks to his treatment of his human subjects. But he also defiled his sanctuaries by the iniquity of his trading. That word iniquity means violent deeds of injustice. Satan's government and the governments of the angels were violent and unjust toward their subjects, and they were bloodthirsty. That iniquity is what turned him from Lucifer the cherub that covers the throne of God into Satan the adversary of God. To fulfill their role as human overseers on the earth, the angels had been given superhuman bodies so that they could more directly interact with the human beings. However, once they became enemies of God by not doing what they were ordained to do, God elected to take away their bodies as recorded in Psalm 82, verses 6 and 7. I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. They were gods, small g, but when they embraced sin by trafficking in violence and bloodshed, God condemned their eternal perfect bodies to decay, just like the men they were sacrificing. And soon thereafter, the fallen angels no longer existed in human form. Their memories were relegated to the myths and legends from the ancient days, but these angels did not just disappear into the ether. They took the form of demons and fallen spirits who continue to work evil in the world through their spiritual connection to it. Which brings us back to the subject of authority. God delegated the authority to rule the earth to the angels with Lucifer at their head. Once they no longer had human bodies, they were forced to transfer their authority downward to their human rulers who would act in their place through governments that would rule over men and implement the plans and values of the fallen angels through controlled human institutions. That is the world that the Bible talks about. It is a worldwide system of spiritual authority that has never been repealed by God and which captured the hearts and minds and souls of human beings and controls them through the human institutions of the world. But God never intended for this worldly power structure of the angels to last forever. To bring it to ruin and redeem humanity from the angelic authorities, God established his own kingdom on earth, a kingdom that would be ruled directly by him, and that kingdom was ancient Israel. Unfortunately, the fallen angels corrupted ancient Israel through their vassal human rulers, to the point where Israel eventually had to be dismantled and destroyed by God. In the process, God promised to send the remnant survivors a savior, a Messiah, who would reclaim not only the territory of Israel, but the entire earth for God. That Messiah is Jesus Christ. His reclamation project was to be accomplished in two parts. The first part involved the redemption or buying back of individual human beings from the world empire of Satan. The payment to buy them back was made at the cross by Jesus. The redemption process is the construction of a church that is composed of living human beings and not buildings and property and power structures. These human beings were, and continue to be, redeemed so that they can become an important and special part of the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ that will soon be constructed on the earth. These elect representatives of the kingdom, these Christians, are the first fruits of the kingdom. They are a select group of people who have been chosen by God to become his adopted family members. These Christians are going to become part of the future ruling family that's headed by Jesus Christ.
There will be other people who will be invited into the kingdom of Jesus Christ as subjects, but only the Christians from the church age and righteous people of ancient Israel and antiquity prior to that will be adopted into the ruling family. This elect family will have representatives from every ethnic group, national group, language group, and people group from across the entire world. It is this election into the family of Jesus Christ that is the great reward that the Apostle Paul repeatedly admonishes his followers not to lose by departing from the church. Hang in there, he says. And don't exchange that ultimate permanent reward for the temporary rewards offered by the kingdoms of the earth, kingdoms that war with God. That is the big picture of what is going on in every age, in every circumstance on earth. The world's forces, under the leadership and direction of Satan and his fallen angels, are doing everything they can to corrupt, infiltrate, persecute, and destroy the church on the earth, both from inside the church and outside. The fallen angels do not want people to be elevated to positions of power and authority within Christ's kingdom because they see people as inherently inferior to angels. The angels, they think, should have those positions. Since the fallen angels control the world power structure, that power structure also does everything it can to prevent people from accepting the offer to become part of Jesus Christ's adopted family, or, if they do accept the offer, turn them away from the church and lure them toward a sin-satisfying alternative. And any alternative will do. Satan's strategy has been to produce lots and lots of choices so the desire of every evil heart can be satisfied in the world and not in Christ. Or, if that won't work, the world works to persecute Christians into submitting to another authority and denying the authority of Christ. Or, if that won't work, the world schemes and plots to kill the Christians so at least they can't convert anyone else. Everything in the system that the Bible calls the world is designed to do one of these three things. The plans can be intricate and they are always deceptive and they often leverage time so that it is more difficult to perceive how they operate. In today's world, we get very distracted with human power structures that we think are going to solve social injustices rarely seeing them for what they really are, elements of the satanic world system that are designed to keep us separated from God and Christ or separate us from God and Christ if we happen to be Christians. We have been focusing on some of the great deceptions of this age because we are rapidly approaching that time period that the Bible calls the end times. The entire Bible, and particularly the prophetic elements of the Bible, are focused on two specific events the first coming of Christ that happened in the first century AD, and the second coming of Christ that will occur at the end of the period we call the end times, or the Great Tribulation, or the 70th week of Daniel. The second coming of Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of prophecy because it will be the time when Jesus destroys the world governmental systems and establishes his own governmental kingdom on the earth permanently. That is the big event that most biblical prophecies point toward. God is a God of governance because people living in community need to be governed. The ultimate government, one that is characterized by righteousness, wisdom, love, grace, kindness, and justice, will be established by Jesus Christ when he returns. That is very good news for those who want and crave such a government, and it's very bad news for those who want to rule over and control other people and in the process glorify themselves. That latter category includes every would-be tyrant who seeks any level of political, economic, or military power and all of the fallen angels. Jesus said that the end times will be unlike any other time in human history. The evil and suffering that will take place during that period will never be equaled again and God will have to resort to unprecedented actions to destroy the system of evil that permeates the world. So when is all this going to happen? Jesus, the Son of God and member of the Godhead Trinity, who therefore knows all things before they happen, gave us some very specific clues to the timing of this event so that those who are wise will be able to discern the season when it is near. Those clues are found in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Revelation chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 24. We have already discussed several of these passages and how they relate to our current period of history, 
But for today, I want you to consider something special about what Jesus said in one particular passage. Let's look briefly at Matthew 24, verses 4 to 8. As background, Jesus had just sat down with his disciples on the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem after departing the temple in Jerusalem. The disciples were very interested to know when he would establish his own kingdom on earth because they fully expected to be leading members of that kingdom who would benefit both politically and financially. After all, they were Jesus' closest followers and friends of the once and future king. They wanted to know when they would be rewarded for their loyalty. So Jesus said to them, and by extension to the rest of us, including those in the lead up to the end times, Take heed that no one deceives you. Now remember that this is Jesus talking about when he will establish his kingdom on the earth, which is the end time period, something that hasn't happened yet. That's the context of his answer. Here, like in so many other places in the Bible, he starts out by warning about deception, because deception will be a central theme in the events of the end times. The world cannot take away our reward as Christians and followers of God and Jesus unless we are deceived. So deception always plays an important role in the world's interactions with Christians and everyone else, since Christians are mixed together with the people of the world. Jesus admonishes his followers to be aware of the world's constant attempts to deceive them because otherwise it will be very easy for them to fall into a catastrophic deception. Verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Another warning about deception. The word Christ literally means chosen one, but in this context it also means Savior. The name Jesus means the Lord is salvation. So when Jesus says that many will come in his name, he means the chosen ones will come as saviors to save the people of that time from something, and there will be a lot of them. Something like that happened not too long ago when there were a lot of people who were appointed or self-appointed to save us from a virus by declaring they had the answer to our health woes, and it came in a plastic syringe. This was no ordinary microbial annoyance, but a worldwide microbial panic induced by governments and their supporters around the world. It was so severe and so threatening a virus that the entire planet needed to be locked down and prevented from living normally until a novel and untested shot could be developed over a weekend to save us from it. Salvation would come in a shot, and then in two shots, and then in three shots, and then in four shots, and then in five shots. And now, we are up to six shots and annual boosters. Doctors and researchers with an alphabet of letters after their names and decades of medical experience were forcibly prevented from communicating their hesitancy at embracing an unproven experimental shot that was designed to permanently alter genetic material in our bodies. In many cases, these highly credentialed and successful medical doctors were fired from their positions and subjected to threats, license forfeitures, and criminal prosecutions simply for speaking out in caution against the unproven emergency use authorization fluid. The government mantra of safe and effective was quickly rolled out and has continued up until today despite abundant evidence of millions of deaths worldwide and hundreds of millions of injuries from the shot, with many of the injured people permanently disabled. And to cap it off, there is a widespread pandemic of infertility that began showing up shortly after the shot became widely available. Deception. Verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, if you've been paying attention, the United States has been almost continually at war since 1860, with only brief respites of peace between protracted intervals of war. Clearly, the United States is not the gold standard of godly living, but it also shows that wars are common and frequent in this world. So what is the deal with Jesus using war as an indicator of the end times? The indicator of war is not the normal chain of violence that the world is used to committing. When Jesus speaks of wars and rumors of wars, he is speaking of wars and rumors of wars that are out of the ordinary. They are unusual and remarkable in some sense. In a world that has grown used to war and rumors of wars, what does that look like? Well, it might look like a major power conflict that threatens the use of nuclear weapons. That would qualify. It might look like the lead-up to World War III in Europe with Ukraine at the center of instability. 
It might look like the world's second largest military in China, threatening the world's supply of computer chips and strategic technologies that would lead to the rapid death of billions of people across the planet. It might look like energy wars and internet wars and the nearly endless wars that have embroiled Middle Eastern countries all around Israel since its founding. Those kind of wars. Verse 7. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Jesus is saying there will be ethnic strife, like the endless accusations of white supremacy that doesn't really exist, but does fuel real ethnic strife, and the overt racism of black lives don't really matter very much, but the violent destruction of civilization does. And at the same time, there will be international strife, like the United States arming fighters to kill people in Syria, and the United States arming fighters to kill people in Iraq and the United States arming fighters to kill people in Sudan, and the United States arming fighters to kill people in Ukraine, and the United States confronting Russia, China, and Iran, and running away from Afghanistan. But the prophecy I really want to focus on is the next line. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Now again, famines, pestilences, and earthquakes are normal events in the world, so how can they be signs of the end times? Some commentators say it is an increase in severity and frequency of these signs that will signal the end times. But that doesn't make any sense, because the severity and frequency of these things change all the time. So let's back up and look at this section of scripture holistically. According to the prophecy of Jesus, deception will be connected to all of the following. A crisis, savior figures, wars and international crises, ethnic strife, national conflicts, famines, pestilences, which are biological problems, and earthquakes. So let's go down through this list and see if they apply to our current age. Number one, crisis, check. We've been in crisis mode ever since COVID appeared on the scene at the end of 2019. Although life has slowly returned to somewhat normal condition, we're still officially in an international state of emergency for the pandemic. The United States government declared a public health emergency in January of 2020, a health emergency that effectively ended most constitutional protections for Americans. It has been extended every 90 days ever since, and was last extended on January 11, 2023, even though there is no real emergency. According to Wikipedia, that public tome of true, accurate, and unbiased information, there are currently 42 declared national emergencies that are currently active in America, dating all the way back to the Carter administration. Similar emergency declarations have been routinely issued by governments around the world, creating official mechanisms to generate endless crises. Number two, savior figures. Check. The newest and most widely distributed crisis, the health crisis that arose from the COVID-19 pandemic, elevated numerous figures, agencies, and even drugstores and doctors to the status of public health saviors. Anthony Fauci, the CDC, the FDA, Pfizer, actors who proclaimed the necessity and benefit of unproven, untested emergency use authorization pharmaceuticals, doctors, pharmacists, and even many pulpit-preaching pastors were all elevated to the status of advocate, expert, and unquestionable health savior. Just listen to the current congressional hearings where former Twitter executives try to justify why they forcibly interfered with the transmission of vital medical information from licensed and experienced doctors and other credentialed individuals simply because it contradicted or even just questioned the wisdom that was being broadcast nonstop from the various national and international health saviors. Wars. Check. They are everywhere and most of them are instigated or funded by the United States. We are the largest arms manufacturing country in the world. We export more arms and armaments than any other country in the world. We have the largest, most capable, and arguably one of the most evil foreign intelligence services on the planet, one that regularly manipulates governments, corrupts foreign elections, and foments violence and warfare among people all over the world. International Crises. Check. The most obvious and dangerous international crisis is the fabricated war in Ukraine, since it could easily lead to World War III, which seems to be the intention. The Chinese coveting of Taiwan is a close second, since it could also lead to widespread conflict and warfare. But even without those two flashpoints, there is the ongoing conflict in Syria, violence in Afghanistan, war in Yemen, civil unrest in Libya, ethnic unrest in Iraq, and a hundred other locations around the world 
most of which have the CIA, DOD, and other American agencies involved and in the middle of it. Ethnic strife. Check. BLM versus normal, peace-loving people. Woke zealots versus normal, well-balanced people. BDS activists versus Israel. Israel versus every Arab nation around it. Islam versus everyone else. India versus Sri Lanka. China versus Taiwan. North Korea versus South Korea. There is strife and violence all over the place. National conflicts. Check. In 2022, there were three wars that claimed over 10,000 fatalities, including Myanmar, Ukraine, and Ethiopia. There were another 17 that claimed at least 1,000 lives and another 25 that claimed at least 100. This list does not include normal criminal activities that result in violence and death, but only armed groups who are fighting to control territory on behalf of a government. Famines. Check. In 2022, the World Food Program of the United Nations stated that 349 million people in 79 countries were facing food shortages, with almost 1 million people experiencing a food crisis at the level of famine. It further stated that food shortages and famines were expected to intensify in 2023 due to conflicts around the world, climate shocks, fertilizer shortages, and soaring food prices. It didn't mention that the soaring prices are due to several preventable actions on the part of world governments, including a reduction in farmland, caused primarily by government policies and regulations, a shortage of fertilizer, caused directly or indirectly by the war in Ukraine, prolonged droughts and severe flooding that is damaging agricultural areas and reducing crop yields, caused in large part by weather warfare technologies, and supply chain disruptions resulting from labor disputes, critical energy and supply shortages, infrastructure deterioration, and governmental regulations. Pestilences. Check. We somehow managed to get through the COVID flu season with only a few dozen major disruptions to life, but vaccines are Bill Gates, the World Economic Forum, governments, and their scientist mouthpieces around the planet promise yet more and worse epidemics and pandemics to come, from monkey flu to bird flu to Ebola-like diseases. And earthquakes. But before we get to that last one, let's consider what all of these preceding crises have in common. Remember, the entire section of scripture begins with the warning not to be deceived, so that's the context we need to consider. Something about all of these things is deceptive. All of them. So what is it? It is the application of human intelligence and actions to achieve a desired outcome by appearing to be something other than what it actually is. The entire health pandemic was based on a human-created pathogen in a bioweapons laboratory, which was marketed as something it was not and continues to be marketed as something it is not. Remember how we were told that COVID jumped from a bat to people via a human Wuhan meat market? Well, that was a lie, or in the context of our scriptural passage, it was a deception because the American government did not want us to know that it was conducting gain-of-function biowarfare research and weapons development inside a Wuhan Level 4 bioweapons laboratory where the supposed COVID-19 virus first appeared. Everything that came thereafter, from the lockdowns to masking to the purpose for the whole thing, which was to get the shot into as many arms as possible, was also imposed on the world based on lies, manipulation, and deception. Do not be deceived, warned Jesus. The messiahs that arose to push the shot all lied about almost everything, or if they didn't lie, they were themselves deceived. Nothing about the COVID flu shot was true. First of all, it's not a vaccine. That was a lie, and the government even tried to change the definition of vaccine to cover it up. It was, and it is, a bio-warfare weapon. It was never intended to treat disease, and it doesn't treat disease, but it can cause disease. Everything about the shot was a lie, a deception to achieve a desired outcome, which was to get it into the arms of as many people as possible as quickly as possible. And that's still the overriding intention. The reasons why it is so important to get it into as many human arms as possible are also masked in deception, some of which we have covered in past episodes. Moving on to the wars and rumors of wars, these are deceptions too, in that they are instigated and funded by governmental and private organizations that operate out of sight, out of public scrutiny, for the purpose of achieving an outcome that is not publicly debated, disclosed, or approved. The parties that create, fund, sustain, and profit from the conflicts 
are hidden from view, masked behind government censorship as well as media and corporate camouflage, and they operate secretively to achieve objectives that are never publicly disclosed. It's all a deception. The same goes for the conflicts. Most of these conflicts would end tomorrow if secretive shadow organizations didn't fund them, train their fighters, and sustain their operations with money, weapons, resources, and intelligence. And most of those shadow organizations trace their roots and their capabilities back to the United States government and even further back to a shadowy globalist cabal of financial oligarchs who remain deliberately hidden from view. Except for Klaus Schwab and his evil goblin sidekick Yuval Noah Harari. They have been designated to be the public faces of the globalist movement. In past episodes, we have covered the war on food that's taking place in America and around the world, which is one of the big reasons why there are ongoing food shortages and famines. We also covered weather warfare activities and the plans of the U.S. Department of Defense to use weather warfare to control elements of the battle space by 2025. Part of the battle space includes the supply chains that are used to support enemy actions, and part of the supply chain is related to food production and distribution. Food is one of the most critical of all supply chain items for an organization. Weather warfare technologies are very effective at reducing or destroying crop yields across a large geographic area, thereby disrupting the supply of food that is needed to support warfighters and the people who support them. When people like Bill Gates or governments like the Netherlands take millions of acres of productive agricultural land out of production permanently, the reason is to control the food production and create artificial shortages. They don't say that because they're operating deceptively to achieve objectives that are not being disclosed. But that is what they're doing. So every one of these problems that Jesus said would occur in the lead-up to the end times was caused by the application of human intelligence to achieve undisclosed, disguised outcomes through deception. So if that is true of all these events, what about earthquakes? How could human intelligence be applied to geophysical activity to achieve an undisclosed, disguised outcome through deception? Or to put it differently, why did Jesus include earthquakes in this list of anxiety-producing events that are today entirely controllable through human technologies. Could the purpose of this list be to tell us that the lead-up to the end times will begin when human beings are able to control all of these events and do so to initiate a hidden, deceptive agenda? That is one characteristic that would tie all of these natural and common events together as indicators of the start of the end times and eliminate all the previous time periods from consideration at the same time. The big example in the list, the one event that is most difficult for human beings to control is the production of an earthquake, particularly a large destructive earthquake. Now, I had been hearing rumors that the United States military had developed the ability to trigger earthquakes using modified HARP technology, HARP being the high-frequency active auroral research program that was originally created and funded as a Department of Defense warfare research program through the Navy and Air Force. If you're unfamiliar with HARP, you might want to go back and listen to episode 28. HARP produced the technology that was ultimately developed into an effective weather modification warfare system. Weather warfare weapons have never been acknowledged by the American government or the DOD, but why would they acknowledge such weapons if they intended to unleash them on the world in the form of engineered droughts, famines, and other severe and destructive weather patterns? But earthquake-generating technology is something else. Generating enough energy to trigger a release of faults in active tectonic regions is a level of technology that seemed to be out of reach. At least until vibration technology was developed. Benjamin Fulford was the Asia-Pacific bureau chief for Forbes magazine from 1998 to 2005 and was briefly an economic advisor to the Japanese prime minister. He is fluent in Japanese, French, Spanish, and English and is conversational in Mandarin. He's published 70 books in Japanese and has a two-hour TV show in Japan. In 2008, he interviewed Heizo Takenaka, and I'm sorry if I butchered that name, who was the former Minister of State for Economic and Fiscal Policies in the Japanese government. He is also a member of the Board of Trustees for the World Economic Forum. Put that information in your pocket. In a 2008 interview, Minister Takenaka told Mr. Fulford something very interesting concerning earthquakes. Let's hear it from Mr. Fulford, which is the audio of the interview that's on video. 
Last year, I confronted Heizo Takenaka, the former Japanese finance minister, over why he handed over control of the Japanese financial system to a group of American and European oligarchs. He and his envoy told me that it was because Japan had been threatened by an earthquake machine. I did not believe it at the time. However, when I started exposing some of their doings, I was told by the Japanese security police that because of what I had said on places like Rents.com, that Niigata City was going to be hit by an earthquake. Two days later, Japan's largest nuclear reactor was the exact epicenter of two earthquakes, both 6.8 in magnitude. And that was too much of a coincidence for me. So I started doing research and found out about HARP, H-A-A-R-P. And I realized that they really did know how to make earthquakes. And they do it by shooting a billion watt microwave into the ionosphere, which is the part of the atmosphere that has a lot of energy in it. That pushes the ionosphere up into outer space and then it rebounds. And the way it rebounds can cause earthquakes. Just like an opera singer can break a glass by singing at a certain level, or by dragging your fingernails on a blackboard, you feel a weird sensation. If they adjust the vibration for the rock underneath their target site, they can do that. The same machine can also heat up subterranean water to cause earthquakes. And remember, a billion watt microwave. What does microwave do to water? It heats it up. Now imagine if you put a billion watts into a tropical storm. You could make it much bigger and you could change the direction it flows in. These people are capable of creating the cyclone that hit Myanmar, the tsunami that hit Indonesia, and the earthquake that hit China. So, according to a senior Japanese government official and member of the World Economic Forum Board of Directors, Japan was threatened with an earthquake, and then days later an earthquake occurred beneath their nuclear plant right where the threat said it would occur. This was not a public threat, but a very private one. It was a classified government communication. Now, if you were head of any government that was advised through channels that this was going to occur, and it did occur, would that get your attention? Would you reassess who you want to oppose on the international stage? Or to put it another way, which side would the average governmental official want to be on? Maybe that's why Mr. Takanaka is a board member with the WEF. Let's hear another clip from a former oil exploration scientist about how he used tomographic techniques back in the 1980s to find oil. I did radio tomography with 30 watts looking for oil in the ground. I found 26 oil wells over a nine-state area, and 100% of the time was accurate with just 30 watts of power beaming straight into solid rock. HARP uses a billion watts beamed straight into the ionosphere for experiments. Picture these strings on the piano as layers of the earth. Each one has its own frequency. What we used to do is beam radio waves into the ground and it would vibrate any strings that were present in the ground we might get a sound back like and we'd say that's natural gas we might get a sound back like and we say that's crude oil we were able to identify each frequency we accomplished this which is 30 watts of radio power if you do this with a billion watts the vibrations are so violent that the entire piano would shake. In fact, the whole house would shake. In fact, the vibrations could be so severe underground that could even cause an earthquake. It's beginning to sound like some people in special government positions may know some things that the rest of the world is not privy to, and some of those people may expect cooperation from the other governments around the world. When the going gets a little tough, they don't want weak-kneed politicians abandoning them, or worse, turning on them, and what better way to send that message than with an earthquake machine, one that generates earthquakes that are very different than the normal ones. You may have heard about the recent catastrophic earthquake in Turkey. It was actually a series of earthquakes that had no specific epicenter, but instead were focused along a region that didn't normally have such massive earthquakes. 
It was an unusual situation that no one expected, and it came at a very interesting point in time from a political perspective. Fortunately for us, there are a few loose cannons in governments around the world who are not willing to keep quiet about what they know. These are brave people, like Romanian Senator Diana Iovanovici Soa Sosokak. Boy, I butcher these things terrible. Diana Iovanovici Soa Sokaka, who issued a political statement on February 8, 2023. It's the kind of political statement that you will only hear from a foreign politician, a statement that is full of truth and information that is supposed to remain secret. I won't be surprised if Miss Sozoaka comes up suicided in the near future. It's the kind of speech that Americans need to hear, coming from a foreign insider who has insider knowledge of things we are not supposed to know. I will play Miss Sosoaka softly in the background, because unless you're real good at understanding Romanian, you're not going to get much out of her speech. But there is an English text of her speech on her official website, so I'll read that along with some commentary. Keep in mind that this is not some nutcase conspiracy theorist. This is an important government official from a country that has taken its share of beatings in the past couple of centuries, and she is speaking to her fellow senators about the beatings that the world is taking today. And Ms. Sosoaka is a bit tired of all the lies that swirl around these beatings. The title of her speech is, People Had to Die and It's Not Over Yet. Let's play it. Dear fellow senators, for three years we have been experiencing a real campaign of mass killing worldwide, either through alleged pandemics and the imminent need to inject untested vaccines that kill people, or through wars that reduce the world's population but rearranges international politics, realigns superpower poles, and alters borders. We have lived to witness the production of earthquakes on command which is actually an attack on Turkey by the greatest of the world who totally disliked being set up by Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the president of Turkey. Moreover, his position of neutrality and mediator in the Ukrainian-Russian war deeply disturbed them, especially since Turkey is the second great power from a military point of view within NATO. His position to block Sweden's accession to NATO, his speech in Davos, as well as the gesture of leaving in the middle of the press conference, defying Schwab, did not remain without an echo in the cold world of leaders of the world. But no one thought that people would have to die, so many people, and in such a terrible way. And it's just a warning, because it wasn't the most populated area of Turkey. 150 aftershocks of a devastating earthquake, the second larger than the first. Geological weapons having existed for a very long time, being used so far without causing too many casualties, probably for experiments. Now it has been put into practice. We'll pause there. She has made several claims, which are 1. The earthquakes in Turkey are not natural, but were artificially produced from weapons technology. Two. This technology has existed for a while, but it has not previously been used as a weapon, at least as far as she knows, but now it has. And three, the reason it was used was to send a message to President Erdogan that the people who control the world and its weapons do not like his independent spirit, his cooperation with President Putin of Russia, and his refusal to cooperate with the World Economic Forum. If I stop there, that would be stunning and revealing enough. But there's a lot more, so we'll continue. If we look carefully at the map of Turkey, we will see that it is furrowed by gas and oil pipelines, this being actually one of the goals, their destruction. But 10 seconds before the occurrence of the so-called earthquake, the Turks closed those pipelines. In addition, 24 hours before the earthquake, 10 countries withdrew their ambassadors from Turkey. Five days before its occurrence, the Romanian Ministry of Foreign Affairs issued a travel warning for Romanian citizens in Turkey, although there was no danger, as did other countries. By killing people, they served their interests. The maps shown on all the TV channels show there was no epicenter, but a line with thousands of earthquakes. The Turkish Secret Service are investigating a possible criminal intervention, read, an involvement of another state in triggering the first earthquake. What followed was a chain reaction after the destabilization of the tectonic plates in the region. Let's stop there. So one of the targets was the oil and gas pipelines that cross over Turkey and that provide fuel to countries across the Middle East and Europe. But amazingly, the pipelines were shut down a few seconds before the huge earthquakes hit. What luck! Ten countries withdrew their ambassadors from Turkey 24 hours before the earthquakes. What? Are the leaders of all these countries clairvoyant? 
Or are they just prudent to get their staff out of harm's way? And Romania issued a travel warning to Romanian citizens to get out of Turkey five days before the event. So a lot of people and governments around the world knew something big was going to happen, and where it was going to happen, and when it was going to happen. I guess that's how the Turkish government got forewarned about the pipeline targets. Some government rat must have squealed to them. It's so hard maintaining a tight criminal organization at that level. All right, we'll continue with her speech. It is very clear that President Erdogan was punished for his courage, dignity and honor and for his closeness to the Russian Federation, in fact, a position of neutrality and mediation for peace. In addition, its desire to divert people's attention from Ukraine, where representatives of many countries have already begun to shout against the despotism and orders given by President Zelensky as if he were ruling the world and someone is obliged to send weapons and participate in his war, in a war where he sacrificed his own people and destroyed his entire country. Anyone who speaks of peace is put on the pole of infamy and attacked from all sides. This is what happened in Romania when I started the unique initiative, Neutrality for Romania, the Peach from Bucharest. They all rushed at me, although now, after one year of war, almost all of them say everything that I said and supported from the beginning, claiming now that they are the owners of these ideas. Plagiarists, Pharisees, Judas! Because of you, people have died and continue to die. You all have hands stained with the blood of millions of people killed for the interests of some madmen who wish to rule the world. Unfortunately, at the Romanian leadership level, we only have incompetence, idiots, plagiarists, thieves, robbers, criminals, cowards, traitors, and the list goes on. These incompetents, awarded by foreign countries for special merits in their support, but at the expense of Romania, are trying at this moment to turn Romania from a neutral sovereign state into a servile and offensive state through which some great powers can exercise their warfare actions and turn Romanians into cannon fodder to benefit of others. Judas, we will stop you at any risk and at any cost. Leave Romania to be sovereign and neutral. We are not interested in anyone's wars. We have always defended our nation and land, and we have not attacked anyone. You should know we have always been in the losing camp, even when the camp won. We have always paid. But enough! Stop here! Romania will keep its neutrality no matter what you promise to others, you traitors. We have an obligation to keep good neighborhood relations in the region, whatever others ask of you. If you are not able to defend our peace, and you're not, then leave or we will take you down. Now that is not the kind of language you get from American politicians. Ms. Sosaaka actually accuses the Romanian leadership of being traitors to Romania at the behest of madmen who wish to rule the world. Is there any doubt that she's talking about the globalist overlords, the billionaires and trillionaires who pull all the strings? Let's continue with the speech. It is very clear to me that at this point, things at the international level have gotten out of hand. The fools are playing as God and they think they have won the game. Because of these demented and psychopathic people who cause wars and cataclysms using unconventional weapons, we humans are just numbers they can get rid of. It is imperative that all the nations, the peoples of the world, rise up together wake up from the daily comfort and carelessness, and just like in 1848, we'll begin the struggle for liberation from the yoke of psychopaths, of demented people who steal our happiness and the beautiful world that we live in. That's why I urge all of you who still want to live in a world of God and not of Satan, I urge you to rise up to fight, to a world revolt and free us all and to destroy these enemies because in this moment we are in legitimate defense. Wow. Miss Sosaaka is one fiery woman. I think, though I don't know for sure, that she may be an Eastern Orthodox Christian woman. I do know from what she said that she is not willing to live in a world run by satanic psychopaths, at least without a fight, psychopaths who, in her words, play God thinking they have won the game. Of course, she's talking about the globalist oligarchs, and she's right out in the open about it. I guess that's what the billionaires think about killing 100,000 people. It's just a big game to them. You see, it isn't just me thinking we are in a great spiritual war. It's people like Senator Sosaka. And lest you think that exotic weapons do not exist, I will wrap up with the 107th Congressional Bill H.R. 2977, dated October 2, 2001. It is a bill to preserve the cooperative, peaceful uses of space for the benefit of all humankind by permanently prohibiting the basing of weapons in space by the United States. Its short title is Space Preservation Act of 2001. 
Let me read to you the definition of weapons in 2001 that this bill was trying to control. It reads, Exotic weapon systems such as electronic, psychotronic, which means electronic weapons controlled by the mind, or information weapons, that would be psychological operations, chemtrails, weren't we told those don't exist? High-altitude, ultra-low-frequency weapon systems, plasma, electromagnetic, sonic or ultrasonic weapons, laser weapons, strategic, theater, tactical, or extraterrestrial weapons, and chemical, biological, environmental, climate, or tectonic weapons. That last one means earthquake weapons. Now, why would our government imagine there might be tectonic weapons used in the future? Could it be because they were already developing and testing them in 2001? I don't believe this bill banning these weapons ever passed, which means there is no law preventing the development and use of these weapons. We human beings have been involved in a war for as long as human beings have been on this earth. It's just that most of us don't realize that, and it's too late when we do. In this late stage of human rule, as we approach the Great Tribulation period, we need to be aware of what's taking place around us so that we are not caught in the snare and trap of deception that is coming and which God so frequently and emphatically warned us to watch out for. What is the deception? Well, part of it is thinking that the government has our best interest in mind. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help you. If we don't see the American government as a dangerous enemy that is not to be trusted or believed ever, and by extension, every corporation and non-governmental entity that supports it, we are ripe for being deceived. It's very tempting and very comfortable to fall into the mindset that the government is here to help us. That there are good people in government who have our best interests in mind. That we are loyal, patriotic Americans first. Well, if you are a Christian, you are not a loyal, patriotic American first. You are a Christian first, an adopted son or daughter of God. Government beneficence is a smokescreen behind which the evil operates. It is there to provide legitimacy and plausible deniability to the real purpose of government, which, based on its recent actions, is to reduce the Earth's population to a manageable size and create a two-class system. A small ruling class that owns and controls everything, and a much larger slave class that owns and controls nothing, but is totally dependent on whatever the rulers feel like handing out. The would-be rulers will obtain that total control by pretending to create systems that will make our lives better, easier, and more pleasant. And initially, the systems will do that. But with the handing over of total power to the government, which is coming, and total power means total control over our lives, that smokescreen will be withdrawn and we will be left with no means of stopping what comes next. And the Bible clearly describes what will come next. So what's the answer? The answer is to remember who we are and act like it. We are sojourners and wanderers in a foreign land, not native patriots. We observe, we interact, we try to obey the laws that don't violate God's commandments, but we don't actively participate in the world system that is marching us towards slavery and doom. Instead, we work to expose and condemn it for the sake of the elect, especially the deceptions that are leading people toward catastrophe. And a good place to start is with the idea that we are at war with Satan and many things that we have been taught are beneficial and good and that we expect to be beneficial and good are actually weapons and those weapons are directed at us, starting with our government. If you found this podcast interesting, useful, or important, please recommend it to someone you know and give it a sign, a beautiful sign to encourage others to listen. Underground Christian can be heard on several fine podcast platforms, including the one you're listening to. But if you get bored, here are some others you can try. Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, TuneIn, iHeart, Player FM, Listen Notes, Pandora, Samsung Podcasts, and Podchaser. If you wish to contact me, please send an email to undergroundchristian at outlook.com. Lord, help us to see the deceptions and the evil that surrounds us and give us the wisdom and knowledge in how to deal with it with our families and with our neighbors. We are small and weak, but you are mighty and strong, so we willingly and happily seek you for our refuge, comfort, and instruction. Open our eyes to the wisdom that's embedded in the Bible so that we may see truth for what it is and evil for what it is. And as a personal appeal, please strengthen me to fail less often, walk more in alignment with your will, hate the things that you hate, and love the things that you love. 
make this podcast grow in numbers to help those who are troubled in this age and those who are not troubled in this age but should be. Encourage our hearts to accept what is coming as the will of God, but also to know that for those who stand unwaveringly with Christ, there is a door opening that only Christ can open and a door closing that only Christ can close. We want the open one so we can look forward to an eternity with Jesus in a kingdom that will have no end, starting with the rapture and the marriage feast of the Lamb. Help us to reach that special door if it's near enough to be in our lifetimes. But in the meantime, teach us to stay away from all the evil bio-warfare and exotic weapon technologies that are being unleashed on the world, giving us the courage to refuse to submit to voluntarily victimhood as we stand for God and for truth.